Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy once again coming to you, and what a delight uh, to be with each and every one of you. I want to welcome each and every one of you to another podcast. Uh, we have been on a journey literally the last three weeks. This is now our 21st consecutive podcast, and we've been on the journey where the Lord has been taking us uh, and using templates and stories in the Word of God to really show us what is taking place in this hour. And it's not by coincidence that the last 11 podcasts, we have been parked in John 11 and John 12, uh, studying the story of Lazarus. And God has been showing us some things uh, that are very, that are parallel to what is taking place today. And so today, we want to continue on our journey. We're so happy that you're with us, you're tuning in, whether it's your first, your second, or you've been with us for the next, the, the last few days or weeks. We thank you for participating, for your faith is, is absolutely appreciated as you are with us in this hour. And we want to just invite you to continue to spread the word and allow these podcasts to come to those that the Spirit of God tells you to and, and to send it to, and I know God will speak to them. Also, as we begin our Bible study today, please uh, have your Bibles with us and study the Word with us. We're so glad we're here now. This is uh, Wednesday. Uh, we, we're on Wednesday. This is now, is this now the 8th, right? This is April the 8th. We are on Passover yeah. week. Yes. We are on Passover week, and uh, we celebrate the birth, excuse me, where we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So join us. I know God will bless you today. Without further ado, Brother Marty, would you please uh, take it from here? Yes, praise the Lord, man. I'm really excited about today's word. Uh, we went on quite a journey yesterday for those of you who were with us. And like Brother Jeremy said, we really do encourage you um, to have your Bibles so that you can have a Bible study there in your home. And this being the most holy of weeks and the most significant of weeks, uh, we believe that as we began three weeks ago and, and the, primarily the last couple of weeks, especially, as Brother Jeremy said, we've been we've been hanging out in John chapter 11, John chapter 12, uh, which brings us, uh, you know, through many prophetic uh, foreshadows for our time. And like we said, we've been talking about the sickness that came uh, that resulted in death uh, during John chapter 11, represented by Lazarus. And, and we encourage you to go back and look at that and hear what the Lord was allowing us to teach as it relates to our time. And uh, without rehearsing all that again, I just encourage you to go back and listen to the previous podcast so that you can catch up to this one. And it, it, But I still think you're going to see some things that... Uh, that uh, will bless you. Now, you know, we've been talking about the prophetic significance of Passover. And yesterday we talked about, you know, the, the, the major things that have occurred throughout biblical history have occurred at Passover. And we put forth the thesis in that sense that with that in mind, with every Passover, you will see a great judgment and a great deliverance whether it be Abraham's initial covenant that he cut in Genesis 15, whether it's the rescue of Lot, which occurred at, at, a, at the Passover season in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, whether it was Gideon's big uh, <laughs> unleavened bread that rolled down the mountain and destroyed the Midianites in his dream, uh, the revealing of, of the handwriting on the wall when Babylon was destroyed that night, as it was revealed to the prophet Daniel when he was called in uh, to interpret what was written on the wall. Uh, or in Hezekiah's time, when the Assyrian army came with Sennacherib, who's a type of the Antichrist, and the Syrian army being a type of the Antichrist forces surrounding Jerusalem, God destroying that army all took place on Passovers, all of these events that we're mentioning, as well as when Esther called for a, a, a national fast amongst the Jews uh, because Haman was about to try and, and slaughter God's people which is a type of the Antichrist as well, and, and her fasting and, and their deliverance and the destruction of Haman all took place in the Passover season, um, according to history. And so with these kinds of um, 
examples that the Bible gives us, we know then that that we need to pay attention, especially if things occur during a Passover season. And that's what we've been talking about, because we believe that Passover is is prophetically been been in many ways misunderstood. People that I've heard in throughout the years in the church simply view the Passover, Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting as simply being the the fulfillment of what happened in the Exodus, right? Because when the right. destroyer came through Exodus, they 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 had to slay a lamb without blemish and they had to apply the blood to the lintel and the and the doorpost of the house and they had to be in the house. And then when the destroyer came through, he could not touch anyone who had the blood applied to the lintel and the doorpost of their house. God said, "When I see the blood, I will pass over you." And so we've heard countless sermons, if you're fortunate enough to have been in a place where preachers still preach the word, that basically say that when Jesus came in the Passover season and and died on the cross, he indeed did fulfill the type of, of becoming the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. But that's really in church tradition where the, uh, you know, the comparison stops. They say that the Passover has been fulfilled. But I don't think that's. I don't I don't think that's true and that's what we've been showing you and we're going to show you again today and we're going to show you just how deep Passover really goes in its prophetic uh, implication. And what we mean by prophecy is that what it says in Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 it says that that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so from Genesis to Revelation when you apply the lens of the spirit of prophecy you look for Jesus and you look for the story as it unfolds, both in the historical narrative and what that implies in the future with that lens. So this is what we've been doing. And we come now to this time as we're celebrating Passover week. And and yesterday, remember, we talked about how Jesus came into Jerusalem and how the message uh, went ahead of him that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And we're going to get into that in a minute, but I felt like the Lord... Uh, wanted us to understand why Passover is significant and and how it has prophetic implications and quite possibly that 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 what we are witnessing now has been foretold in the ancient scriptures for a generation that would be alive when a future Passover would signal that the that the prophetic events that have foretold the second coming of the Lord are about to take place. And with that in mind, I want to I want to just look briefly before we get into the remainder of our study here at Genesis chapter 15, and we'll we'll just discuss it. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, you can turn over there. It's in Genesis 15, and uh, we're going to look at the very first Passover uh, that we're going to reference today, and 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 that is the Passover that took place because this is what the rabbis tell us that when God cut a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, that it occurred at the same time in the Hebrew calendar as the Passover that would occur in the future. And the reason they say that, remember, is because God promised that that Abraham's seed, that is the nation that would be born out of him, would go into slavery in Egypt, and that 430 years later, that they would be set free. Now, in the book of Exodus, let me just read this scripture to you if I can look it up real quick. It's Exodus chapter 12, based on what Abraham was told. And it's Exodus 12, I think it's verse 40. Let me look here. In verse 40, when the children of Israel come out, listen to what it says here in Exodus 12, verse 40. And this is the day they came out of Egypt. It said, and, that, and this is the is the Passover. It says, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years and listen to this and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years on the very same day it came to pass that all the hosts of the lord went out from the land of egypt that israel was let go on the very day that god promised abraham the very same day that he cuts this covenant with abraham 430 years later to the day they're let out and they and they leave Egypt. So that's why the rabbis say when Abraham's cutting this covenant, 
if Israel came out on the very day of Passover, then the covenant had to, in essence, be cut on the same day, right? 430 years later to the day. So the first Passover that's referenced is this covenant that Abraham cut. Now, listen, let's take a look at this because we're going to see some prophetic implications for what I believe and where I believe we are right now. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse, let's see here, uh, verse 8, he says, and the Lord's, uh, and Abraham's asking him, how am I going to know that you're going to make this great nation of me? And the Lord says, take me a heifer of three years old, Genesis 15, 9, a she-goat of three years old, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now look at this. It says he took these and he divided them in the midst. In other words, he split them in half and he laid them in pieces vertically. And he laid each piece against the other, but the birds he did not divide. Now, when Abraham opens this, this sacrificial offering and is about to enter into a covenant with God, look what happens. It says in verse 11 that at that moment that the fowls of the air came down upon those sacrifices and Abraham had to fight them away. Now, Abraham was not just fighting with birds, remember. What we need to look at here, because it has applications to what Jesus did on Calvary. Jesus is that sacrifice. Because what happens is that we're told that this, this burning lamp and this smoking flax comes out of the sky and literally passes between the pieces. It's, it's as if it's reflecting what would happen in a far future Passover when the Son of God himself would come and become that very sacrifice. And and he would be and, – and it's interesting because the three animals are represented here that he spoke of in verse 9. He says a three-year-old heifer, a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old. You have three distinct individual animals representing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This was an entire sacrifice that came from God because the Bible says that that God was in Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. And when Abraham splits these, these sacrificial offerings before God, God chooses to walk in the blood in between the pieces and begin to cut an, a covenant with Abraham that would ultimately be fulfilled on Calvary. When these fowls of the, of the air come down and try to pick apart the sacrifice that Abraham is standing there defending, it's really reflective or a type, if you will, of the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, who in that far distant future from the time of Abraham, some, some 2,000 years in the future from this point, when Jesus himself would have to contend with, with the fowls of the air, if you will, as he hung on the cross. That is the demonic powers that came against him trying to get him to come off the cross. These fowls of the air, like it says in verse 11, chapter 15 of Genesis, it says, when the fowls came down upon the sacrifice, Abraham had to drive them away. What Father Abraham was contesting with right there is so profound because it's more than just birds trying to come eat, eat carcasses. He's dealing with demonic power. He's dealing with the powers that were trying to prevent this covenant from actually being sealed by God. And, and so he has to fight them away. It is a reflection of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. Because the demonic forces of the world attempted to get Jesus to come off the cross, but he wouldn't. And you can read in Psalm 22, David describes what it was like. He describes what it was like for Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. Let's take a look at that really quick. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Psalm chapter 22. And David begins to describe this very thing that Father Abraham was portraying in the original covenant that was cut. The Lord himself was going through the very same thing when he was hanging on the cross. Now, David was given an insight by the Lord when he when he he. 800 years before the Lord was crucified, he, he's, he's translated by the Holy Spirit to see what Calvary was going to actually look like. And that's and where Brother he Marty, begins. Yes. And, and for the listener's sake, um, we were talking about these foul birds that were trying to eat uh, the very sacrifice that uh, um, 
Abraham was offering. And I just want to use an example of uh, where scripture uses uh, the example of foul birds as types of, of devils. In Revelation yes. 18.2, 18.2 says, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, is fallen and is become the habitation of devils. And the, lo and, and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird, just to go along with what you're talking about, that the uh, sacrifice that um, Abraham offered and, and these birds trying to come and, and, and get the offering is a type of what Jesus did at the cross when he uh, defeated the devil and uh, his devils. Amen. That's exactly yeah. right. And and so and and so when we get to Psalm 22, we're given even a deeper insight into what happened around the cross. Psalm 22 begins in verse one with the very words that Jesus Himself would speak from the cross. David starts with, "My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Why are You so far from helping me?" And from the words of my roaring. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear me. And in the night season, I am not silent. So he begins to reveal uh, what he's going through. And then he begins to reveal those that are walking around the cross. In verse 7, he says, everyone that sees me is laughing at me. And they're laughing me to scorn. And then he says, they shoot out the lip. They're shaking their heads, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him now, seeing that he delighted in him. And, and so wow. we see that, he, that, that he's being surrounded. It was demonic power that was speaking through those who gathered around the cross, just like the fowls that came down on Abraham's Passover sacrifice. So the sacrifice of God, his very son, was having to, to dispel and having to fight away demonic power and look at what he says right. here in in verse 12 he begins to see demonic power again he says many bulls have compassed me the strong bulls of bashan have beset me around bashan is up in that territory of northern israel which are the mountains uh, where the ancient demonic spirits came into this earth during the time of Genesis chapter 6, just prior to the flood of Noah. It is in, right. those, it is in those hills. It is, Bashan is located up in the north by Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is where the, uh, the demonic powers, according to the scripture, came in in the prior time, at the time of Noah, and so this is what he's referencing. It's these ancient spirits, these ancient devils. He uses the term bulls, but but it's really a it's a poetic uh, description of a demonic power from an ancient territory, and that's why he mentions the bulls of Bashan. Strong bulls have beset me round about. It's as if. Those that were gathered around the cross, just like the fowls that tried to come down on Abraham's sacrifice. So in, in fulfillment of that, we see at the cross, it was as if what David was being allowed to see was he was being allowed to look through the eyes of Christ and the very faces of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman soldiers began to morph in front of him. They began to change into the most grotesque form of demonic power, and they were they were mocking him. They were coming down on the sacrifice. They were trying to get him to come off the cross. He says in verse 13, they gaped upon me with their mouths, like ravening and and like a ravening and a roaring lion. This is Satan himself at the cross that David is seeing. It is Satan himself that came. Remember what. Uh, what Peter said Satan was like, he's like what? A roaring lion. And that's why he's there. Not only uh, not only are, are the bulls, which is like a hierarchy of demonic power manifesting through these people around the cross, but the strong bulls of Bashan, he even goes further back and talks about the elite, the corporate elite of the demonic realm that was manifesting yeah. itself that had its origins in the ancient past. And then Satan himself shows up manifesting as a roaring lion. And they're speaking at him. 
and, and they're trying to get him to come off the cross, the price that Christ paid is so far beyond any human vocabulary to describe. And it's far beyond anything that we have ever, ever allowed ourselves to go there, really, because really it would break us if we actually saw what he went through. And David is giving us an insight here. And then he describes what he was feeling like. In verse 14, he says, I'm poured out like water. And it, that, that likens to what the prophet Isaiah would write, right? Where he said he poured out his soul as an offering for sin. He poured it out, everything. There was not one ounce of any aspect of his being that was withheld. It was completely given. He says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. He says, my heart is melting. It's like wax. It's melting in the midst of my spirit. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue is cleaving to the jaws of my mouth. You have brought me unto the dust of death. And then he says, and he mentions the demonic power again. He says, uh, for dogs have compassed me. Understand every everything the uh, uh, occult, uh, pagan, and 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 demonic witchcraft type things that go on. These 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 terrible spirits that we see manifesting now in our time, which cross over into and I, I hesitate to say this, but I'll just say this into into sexual perversion. Because if you get into the in, if you get into the Hebrew words here, brothers, when you look at the dogs, you're actually talking about a sexually perverse demonic power. Everything was present there. Every blasphemous, unholy thing represented in Abraham's sacrifice by the fowls that came down. So when Abraham is fighting those things off, he's really reflecting the 2,000 years in the future that Jesus himself would do. He took upon all the powers of darkness and overcame them, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. He, he said, yeah. these dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. And then look at this. So we know, so we know exactly what we're, what we're being revealed here to David 800 years before it happened. He says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Understand this. It wasn't the Romans who did it. It wasn't the Pharisees who did it. It's the bulls of Bashan, the strong bulls of Bashan. It's the roaring lion. It's the dogs. It's the demonic powers that were expressing themselves through the Roman government and through the false church of his day. That is a, a compromised, backslidden Judaism. That's what was happening. And they were fully given over. Once they turned Jesus over from the religious establishment, the entire establishment became filled with demonic power. And once Pilate washed his hands of it and turned him over to the soldiers, the global government of that time as well, the Romans, became filled with demonic power. What you are witnessing when you see uh, Jesus on the cross is the expression of, of satanic power unleashed and unhindered for an hour. As Jesus would describe, he took upon right. himself the wrath and the sins of us all. And he talks about in verse 17, that I, I, I can count all my bones, everyone staring at me. And then here we see in verse 18, they part my garments among themselves and they cast dice on my cloak. That's exactly what they did. And mm. then he says to him, but do not be far from me, O Lord, my strength. Hasten thee to help me, deliver my sword, uh, my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. He's talking about Satan himself. For you have heard me from the horns of the unicorn. And so we we go back in our reflection now because we're talking about Passover and the prophetic significance of it. When Abraham was fighting those birds. He was fighting the powers of darkness to present to prevent the 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 covenant that would be cut that would make a way 
for the Son of Man to come into the earth and ultimately destroy the devil himself. Abraham drove away those demonic powers, and the Lord Jesus, who alone could do such a thing, fought with demonic forces on Calvary and drove them away by the sheer power of his complete surrender to the will of his Father. Now, understand this. Consider also, if you turn over to Genesis chapter 18, because we're talking about the prophetic significance of Passover yet to be fulfilled. That was the first thing in Genesis 15 that occurred on the Passover. Years later in Genesis chapter 18, uh, God appears to Abraham again. But listen to me and listen carefully, because this is what the Lord is revealing. Because I believe that these events that we're looking at right now in the first Passovers that occurred, that they 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 were teaching us that a revelation was to be given to a future generation, Abraham's children, to a true church in the future that would see similar events take place in their time as occurred in every single Passover along the way. But in this particular case, Abraham's children, this occurred at a Passover season, and what it foretold was that a judgment was coming. Now listen, we see this in Genesis chapter 18, verse 17. Look what, well, before we get to verse 17, let's just look at what 18 was, because this occurred at the Passover. God comes and appears to Abraham in the plains of Mamre, and Abraham runs out to meet him, and he sits him in verse 4 under a tree. And, and, and that tree is representative of the cross, if you have eyes to see it. Abraham goes and he gets bread. And then he has Sarah make three measures of fine meal, chapter uh, 18, verse 6, and make cakes upon a hearth, the bread. Abraham runs, and then he does something in verse 7. He takes a calf out of the herd, and he gives it to the young men, and they hasten to dress it. They kill the calf. And then they dress it, or they, or they roast it, and they set it before them, in verse 8, under a tree, and they ate. It's a foreshadow of of the Passover sacrifice. The tree is a representative of the cross. But understand this, what's being prophesied at this event, two things occurred during Passover. And this is what we started out saying, was that the Passover uh, for many, many years now has has been taught that it all concluded on Calvary, that it fulfilled Passover season, but it didn't. It was just the beginning of the fulfillment. Because in order to understand it in its fullness, we have to study the history of it. And in order to understand what the prophetic implications of, we, of, the, of that history, we have to go back to the stories where they occurred. Now listen, when, when, when this Passover season was occurring, God appears to him, and then he prophesies to him something. He tells him, at this time next year, your wife is going to give birth to a son. So it's in the Passover season that it's revealed to Abraham that Isaac is coming. Ah, uh, you don't hear what I'm telling you. Amen. Awesome. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah! Right. So Lord, I wish I was in. I was. I wish I was in a in an opened church. Hallelujah. <laughs> 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 so listen. So listen. So it's revealed to him at this Passover season that Isaac is coming. At this time next year, right? At this same time, that's what he tells them. If you read the story, and look at it says it says uh, in verse ten, eighteen ten, he says, and I and he said, the Lord says to Abraham, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And she heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now she was real old and all that, right? And so she ends up laughing and. And, but it speaks of the joy of the Lord, right, that's coming at the birth of a child. So Isaac's uh, prophesied appearance occurs in a Passover. And what's interesting, if you can see it, is Abraham and Sarah were now well stricken in years. In other words, they were really old. This is a foreshadow that it's quite possible what we were being taught here is that to look at the clues of this first Passover that Abraham's celebrating with his wife here, where it's prophesied to him that there's going to be an Isaac coming at this time, Passover, next year. So so what we see here then is that we see a well-developed 
old man <laughs> and a well-developed old lady, right? Abraham and Sarah. What is this a type of? And this is what I'm just going to throw this in real quick. It's a type of the end of time as well. A church that is not a new church, but a church that has been around for a long time. And a church that has been around for a long time at a future Passover is going to have the Holy Spirit come and tell it at this time or in the not too distant future, Isaac's coming. Jesus is coming. All right. Amen. Listen. Now listen. But there's something else connected to this Passover. The Passover that Abraham and Sarah were experiencing and the announcement that Isaac was going to be coming soon occurred at the same time that God was about to reveal something. Genesis 18, he says to uh, to Abraham, after all this, what we've been talking about, in verse 17, he says, And the Lord said this, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do? All right. That's why I've been saying this the third time I'm going to say this. Is it possible that hidden in this story is a key to a future generation. Because the thing that God was about to reveal to Abraham is a foreshadow of the ultimate judgment that's coming. Because what he was about to reveal to Abraham in this Passover was that Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be destroyed. And he said, I'm not going to withhold this from Abraham. I'm going to reveal it to him. And so this is occurring at Passover. And so is it possible, and I'm telling you, I believe that it is, that this was teaching us that a revelation was to going to be given to a future generation of Abraham's children, the true church really, at a Passover season, that a judgment is coming. Now you might say, well, okay, but remember what Jesus said, as it was, in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot. Well, when we go to the days of Lot, this is the same time. The thing that was being revealed to Abraham was that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. This occurred at the same time. Lot's deliverance occurred at a Passover season. And so Jesus connects it. And if you go study the days of Lot, then you have to run into this story that we're talking about where it's revealed that Isaac's coming and judgment's coming, and it's not being hid. And he tells him, and remember, Isaac was born at Passover. Right. And what most, peop and what most people don't know is Jesus was born at Passover. I mean, we celebrate, you know, December 25th and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that, if you dig into it and we ain't got time to 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 talk about it but today because that's not our our subject but but remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds they were shepherds who had the flocks in the field right well if you know anything about uh, jewish history the reason there were sh the shepherds that were in the field with their lambs and where they appeared to them in bethlehem is cuz they're only a few a couple miles away from jerusalem and it gives us a seasonal point it's in the springtime, and the shepherds can't keep the sheep in the field later in the year or in December, September, October, November, because it's too cold. But the, the sheep are kept in the field as sacrificial lambs because they're headed into the season of Passover. Isaac was born at Passover. Jesus was born at Passover. Isaac was circumcised at eight days old. Jesus was circumcised at eight days old in the temple, but that's for another time. Now, the the Passover that we're talking about here of Abraham, the fighting away of the fowls of the air, the covenant that was being cut was all about the future of a nation and then a multitude of nations that would be born as a result of Father Abraham. And so what we're saying is that in that one example that we've just been giving you, I believe what is being taught to us is that a revelation would be given to a future generation. A true church during a Passover season that would begin to see similar events transpire. We've been putting forth this that the Lazarus effect or the John chapter 11 account of a sickness that came just before Passover and a death that results, as we're seeing death all around us in the Passover season, is a signal 
because it's a global event at a Passover season, we have to open our eyes and understand it's quite possible that we're right on the edge of the second coming of the Lord. Now listen, this brings us to John chapter 12, and we're going to go quickly here, because this is where we were yesterday. Remember what we talked about? Are you there in John chapter 12? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Remember what we talked about yesterday? We talked about how Jesus came into Jerusalem. Let's just read it, John 12, 12. The next day, much people that were with him came to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they do something weird, right? They take palm branches, they cut them down, and they begin waving them, and, and they go forth to meet the Lord, and they begin to cry, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What's interesting is that, is that as we talked about yesterday, is that the only time that you ever cut down palm branches and bring them to a feast is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so what they were attempting to do was to force Jesus to assume his messianic throne at that time. They yeah. really believed that that's what he had come there for. But as we talked about yesterday, he rejects it. He rejects it because it wasn't time yet. The Feast of Tabernacles was yet to be fulfilled in the future. But the fact that God put them together and allowed John the Apostle to record it, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem during the Passover season, the people try to accelerate prophetic events and make it the Feast of Tabernacles, thinking that the Messiah had arrived to be their king. But as we pointed right. out in, in John chapter 12, verse 14, Jesus rejects that Feast of Tabernacles expression, and he ends up getting on top of a little donkey, right? And he rides into the city. Now, there's a reason he did that. But it it's yet hinting at a future tabernacle. He didn't reject the, the Feast of Tabernacles. He rejected it for that time. Because the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, you know, when people, they, they call it Palm Sunday, right? I mean, why do they call it Palm Sunday? Because when Jesus came running into, uh, came riding into Jerusalem, they took palm branches. But we've missed it all these years. God was revealing something, and so would Jesus reveal as he goes on, as he rides into Jerusalem. What's being foretold is there is a connection between Calvary and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now listen. At this time, Jesus comes in, he doesn't identify with the waving of the palm branches, even though we call it Palm Sunday. But it was it, it's because the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be celebrated not in an earthly kingdom, but it will be celebrated in its fullness in heaven itself. And that's why we took the people yesterday to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where an innumerable host of people are suddenly standing in the throne room waving palm branches, right? You read it yesterday. But look what Jesus does. We have to remember how Tabernacles is celebrated and why he refused it at the time. Now, I'm going to show you something here which is so cool because it is what he does. Look, in verse 24, and that's where we're going to, something happens. In verse 24, chapter 12, Jesus does something. Remember what we're talking about here. He comes into Passover, and we're telling you that first Passover or the first part of that Passover was fulfilled when Jesus hung on the cross. But there's so much more to the Passover that's prophesying, which we just went over using Abraham as an example, using King David, Psalm 22 as an example, using Lot, as Jesus told us to pay attention to Lot, which Lot's season began at Passover. Judgment came on and on and on. Jesus refuses to embrace the display of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is marked by the waving of palm branches, because of what he goes on to say. Now, something happens, and as you read the story and go through it, you'll see Jesus identifies himself with the Zechariah 9, verse 9 prophecy, that the king of Jerusalem would first come humbly, riding on a colt. And and yet, at the same time, something interesting happens in verse 20. We're told that there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Those Greek uh, individuals that came 
had joined themselves to Israel, but they represent the Gentile bride that would yet be born. And and, right. and Philip and, and Andrew get so excited that they come to Jesus and they say, man, there's Gentiles that want to know you, right? The Gentiles want to know you. But Jesus says something in verse 23. He says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's kind of an odd thing to say. Because rather than saying, please tell him I ain't got time or you know, I got other things to do, he gets into this incredibly deep thing that we're going to see right here. Because he goes on to say in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. Why did he say that? Why is that significant? I'll tell you why. If you know anything about the Feast of Tabernacles, it occurs after the harvest season in the summer that goes into what the Jewish people call the 10 days of awe, which are reflective of many things we'll maybe talk about in a second here. It gives way to the Day of Atonement, and then the Day of Atonement is followed by the Feast of Tabernacles. What the Feast of Tabernacles celebrates is the harvest. The Jews at the end of the summer would have the summer harvest, and they would take what they had gotten, the fruit that they had gotten from the harvest, and they would bring it in a celebration to Jerusalem and wave it before God. And they would live in these makeshift little huts that they would build with no roof on top so that they could look up into the heavens and realize that they have here no continuing city and so when they would bring the fruit on the day or the, or the of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would wave it before God, just like they were doing when Jesus r rode into Jerusalem. They were waving palm branches without fruit. And what Jesus was saying, which is so deep, brothers, <laughs> because he speaks in such a deep way. Our Lord is so great, and his ways are so past finding out. If you can see it, what he was literally saying here was that I can't em embrace the Greeks or the Jews right now, even though they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacle like I'm the Messiah. Why? Because I cannot come to my father and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles unless I have a harvest in my hand, unless I have fruit. Wow. Right? And so he says, I have to die. He's not saying I'm not going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, but there's only one way to it's get there. Time. I can't, right? right? He says, I have to have much fruit. I have to bring a harvest in order for this feast they're trying to get me to, to participate in right now. He goes, my hour has come to be glorified. And the only way that's going to happen is if I can present fruit so that the real Feast of Tabernacles can be celebrated in heaven as I bring the fruit of all the souls of all the ages into the very throne room of my Father in heaven. Powerful. Brother Marty. Yes. There's a there's a similar act that just to compare what you're saying that we see in John seven. The Jews were celebrating, were about to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which which was at hand. Yeah. And then the Jews, his brethren, began to tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know, reveal yourself. Do the work so that they can believe. You know, no man that does it does it in secret. Almost right. like, like exhorting him or something, you know. Yes. But Jesus responds in a way that, that is exactly what you're saying. Then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, yes. but your time is always ready. So even yeah. here we see Jesus saying, no, 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 no. Uh, so they didn't know if he was going to show up to the feast. He ends up showing up at the middle of the week, right? <laughs> and they see him yeah. at the temple. But he tells them, my time is not yet come. So I just I just saw that parallel right there with what you're no, talking about. No, no, that's about. exactly right. That's what he's saying here to them. You know, cause, because as we pointed out yesterday, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see both Jew and 
and Greek or Jew and Gentile standing in the throne room of God with palm branches in their head. But what the Jews tried to do here in this Passover was force the issue. Now let's just put the pause button there and talk a little bit about the wisdom of Jesus and the subtlety of that wicked one, the devil. Because many people don't recognize how it is that the devil fights. That's why I get so right. upset at all these phony balonies, you know, who stand up there and said, you know, I'm going to kick the devil in the head, blah, blah, blah. You know, I bind him in Jesus. You have no <laughs> idea who you're dealing with. You know, you better right, hide man. yourself behind Jesus, man. And let him do the fight yeah. for you, right? Because right. <laughs> right. you're about to get... You know, what if that happened in that book of Acts, right? When the devils came and they tried to cast out the devils, he said, you know, we adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And and, and it says that the devils uh, came out and and said, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you, right? And they beat him up and they went running out of the house, right? Because, Because the devil recognizes the authority of Jesus and he will recognize the Jesus that you allow to be manifest in you. That is, we have become a habitation of God through the Spirit. To the extent that Jesus is inside of you, and we have allowed him to take over the fullness of the territory of our spirit, soul, and body, only then and only in his name will the devil submit to the authority of Christ in your life, and only as you're directed by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem to fulfill his part of the Exodus Passover as the Lamb of God, they're trying to force him to enter into his throne. It's multiple. Right. Uh, it, it's it's a real, it's a real test. It's a test because, my God, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. If he wanted to, he could have rallied an army. You know, yeah, I'm him. And I'm here, and, you know, I just raised Lazarus from the dead, and everybody's shouting. The whole city's gone crazy. Even the Pharisees talked about it a, a few verses up before this when they said, my God, the whole world's gone after him, right? I mean, we can't even stop it. We cannot stop this. Think about this. Let's just look at it really quick because it says it says when he comes in, it says that all the people that had, had, uh, had known that he called Lazarus out from the grave in verse 17 and had raised him from the dead. They're saying, yeah, it's true. He raised him from the dead. And then verse 18, it says, because of this, the people also met him uh, for they heard that he had done this great miracle. So you've got an entire city. Now, remember, this ain't like some small little church in the middle of nowhere. This is Jerusalem. This is the temple that took 40 year, 46 years to expand and build under the dynasty of of Herod, you got the Fort of Antonia over there hanging out near the temple where there's almost 10,000 Roman soldiers. It's Passover, so all the little hills in Jerusalem are dotted with thousands and thousands of tents where the pilgrims from the north, south, and east, and west in Israel had come to celebrate the Passover. The city is teeming with hundreds of thousands of people, and here comes Jesus, and they are shouting to the heavens, Hosanna to the king of, of, of David, to the son of God, right? You know, uh, blessed is the king of Israel, right? The son of David. I mean, they're yelling all this stuff. Check it out. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, but check it, it out. Flattery. Right. right. Now, if you don't think that the enemy was trying to get to him, Right. You don't know the devil. Exactly. That's right. Because all this activity, all this adulation, he he blows their mind. And 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 in verse 15, when he sits on the donkey and he comes riding in on the donkey, he chooses to identify himself with a different part of the prophetic word of God. He hid himself in the prophetic word of God. It's what gave him the strength to endure. He's a master tactician. He's a master Good. warrior. The Lord is a warrior. He's the yeah. king of glory. He could have easily been swept up in the emotion like the fair-haired preachers of today, right? They probably would have started the ministry right there and, and, and you know, <laughs> started signing the palm branches, right, with his sharpie. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's what they do today, right? Right. Or the Lord of glory. Hallelujah. He didn't do that. He identifies himself with a different aspect of prophecy. He doesn't say, like we were just pointing out, 
I'm getting too loud here. Right? He doesn't say that. Uh, <laughs> he does not say that the Feast of Tabernacles won't be fulfilled. It's just he's not taking the bait. This was a trap from the devil. And 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 the kingdom that he was proclaiming was going to be a kingdom that is at hand right now. There is a Feast of Tabernacles coming. He tells them in verse 23, in verse 24. He says, "But I can't." even begin the process of initiating what will be the the rightful display of a harvest which i must present to my father to fulfill the feast of tabernacles because that's what we do we bring fruit and we show it to the father in heaven he says i have to die i can't embrace this aspect of the prophetic word in this passover that i'm coming to die i have to die and that's why he says except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it is going to abide alone. In other words, he's saying, if I don't die, everything in the whole world in the universe is going to die except for me. <laughs> he's God. Right? Uh, so, he says, so he says, but if I die, or if this corn of wheat dies, he's talking about himself, it's going to bring forth much fruit. In essence, he's telling them that the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Jew and the Greek are going to be together in the future, it must come by one way and one way only, and that is by Calvary. I have to die, rise from the dead, in order for me to have fruit to, prevent, to present to my Father so that I can fulfill that feast as well. So John includes it. John reveals to us the pattern of what happened there, and he also connects it what is later going to be written some 60 years later in the book of Revelation where, it's, where the real feast will be unfolded in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. But then he transitions and says this, because this Passover season we're also telling our listening audience and all those who, will, who, will, who have ears to hear that, that what the Lord begins to shift here is a prophetic shift as he begins to say something, he then transitions from himself to his followers. And he says in verse 25, he that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. He then begins to say, not only do I have to go in this direction, which is Calvary, in order to die and resurrect and bear much fruit so I can participate and fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles, but so is every one of my servants going to have to do this, the same thing. They're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to reject your life in this world in order to be resurrected and be a, present, a, a suitable present unto my Father as a fruit that was born as a result of my submission to him. And then he says this, if you serve me, if any man serve me, let him follow me. He's prophesying also to that future generation that there is coming before this Jew and Gentile meeting in the air, in the throne room of God, that there's coming that future generation that was going to have to identify with what it is that Passover was revealing. And that's a hard thing for people because literally he was saying we have to follow him in the same way and that we have to lay down our life in this world the same way that he did. And he says, if you don't hate your life in this world, you will have no part of me. This is what we mean by the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Whether you go by way of the fifth seal, which is the persecution that is coming, or whether we pass away before then, Either way, we still must go by way of the cross. We must come by way of the place where we identify with him and we are crucified with him in order that we might rise, if you will, with him as well. He said, follow me. And so he's calling us to heaven. And he says, where I am, there will my servant be also. If any man serves me, him will my father be. He says, follow me that where, my, where I am, there shall my servant be. And then he says this, if any man honors me, him will my father honor. We need to understand, brothers, we are that harvest. Jesus is the first fruit. 
right? Yes. But we're the yes. harvest that he is going to present before the Father, and we're going to have uh, palm branches in our hand up in heaven soon because that's where the real Feast of Tabernacles is going to be celebrated. And the fruit that is presented as a thanksgiving offering to the Father uh, is going to be our very lives, for we are thankful that he gave us his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. All of this was made Amen. possible by our Lord, right? So now the Lord begins to reveal the intensity, and we are going to have to identify ourselves with this, because then he says in verse 27, now is my soul troubled, because he knows what's coming, not only for himself, but for his, his, his church, whether it was the early church who would go through this suffering or the end-time church or the church in between, every generation of true believers has experienced a suffering, a persecution, a Calvary. But there is an end-time generation that is prophesied in the book of Revelation when the fifth seal is opened, which, by the way, the fifth seal is opened as it comes out of a pandemic right? Because the fourth seal in the book of Revelation, you all can read it in Revelation 6, the fourth seal when it's open produces sickness and death and famine. This is what we're witnessing right now, but then it's going to give way to the fifth seal. The fifth seal that's opened up is the seal that produces a martyrdom, a persecution of the church. And Jesus is fulfilling that in his own self, but also he is portraying a prophetic type of what his own church will go through at a future Passover, if you will, that will signal that a martyrdom and a persecution and, and an endurance is going to be required in the end. And he says, my soul is troubled. And then he asked the questions that we need to ask. What do I say about this? If God is indeed warning his church that coming out of this pandemic, coming out of all this that we're going to see, a whole new world is going to emerge. And if, in fact, we have begun to enter that very threshold of what Passover is truly revealing to us, then we too are going to come through a Calvary experience. We're going to go through a Gethsemane experience. We're going to go through a Calvary experience, but we're also going to go through the third day experience. We're not going to die. We're going to live if we love not our life in this world. He says, what do I say? Father, save me from this hour. This language is very akin to what is used in the book of Revelation when he talks to the hour of trial uh, uh, to the Philadelphians, when he talks to uh, the church, when he talks about the hour of his patience, when he talks to his disciples at Gethsemane and says, could you not watch with me for one hour? He's prophesying of a future hour that is yet to come. He says, and then he says this about himself, and it is what this end time church is going to have to say about itself. What shall I say? Save me from this hour? He says, but it's for this very cause that I've come to this hour. Yeah. This glorious church that we've been talking about, which will come out and evolve and become what it's going to become over the next few short years, is going to be that glorious church that will be given the highest of all honors. For it will be allowed to stand in the face of a wicked world fully corrupted and fully given over to its rebellion, its satanic one called the false prophet and the antichrist, its pseudo-spiritual system, and, and the church will stand up in the face of its persecution and say, like the three Hebrew children, God can deliver us if he wants to, but even if he doesn't, O King, we will not bow Amen. to your image. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. It's for this cause I came into the world, Jesus said. And we will join and follow him in that cause because there is a revelation coming of a far greater reality that this world is not our home, that yes. all that is in the world is passing away and a new yes. heaven and a new earth is coming. For we too yes. have been called to an hour like this. What do we say? Deliver us from this or do we catch a glimpse do we see the sparkling uh, city set on a hill that is set before us like the ancients of old? 
who said they saw the promises afar off and they were persuaded by them and they were fully persuaded by them and they embraced them and they began to allow the spirit of God to transform them to the point that they became pilgrims and strangers on the earth. And they began to confess, you know what? We were, we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God almighty. That is who we're joining with an innumerable host, a great cloud of witnesses that is urging us on. And like our Lord, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured his hour of trial for you yeah. and for me. Amen. And yeah. after this, there's hope. Because something incredibly strange takes place after he reveals verse 27. Verse 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. And what happens? Then there comes a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, back in the original Passover, right? And I will glorify it again, speaking of not only the, the glorification of raising the Lord from the dead, but the glorification of his king coming back to earth and rescuing his church. Listen what happens. When, uh, when Jesus begins to talk about an hour of trial, suddenly a strange event takes place. A voice comes from heaven. And in verse 29, it says, the people standing by, they hear it. To some, it sounded like it thundered. To the others, they say, I think an angel's talked to him. <laughs> the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Come on, somebody. With a voice. Hallelujah. With a and the voice of what? The archangel. Listen, it's veiled, it's hidden, but it's revealed to those who have eyes to see. He's saying, look, a trial is coming, the hour of my trial. Am I going to ask him to save me from this? He goes, no, I'm here now at this prophetic time to go through this for my father and for the whole church. But, but then a strange event takes place after he says that. Because what we know by the book of Revelation is that a church is going to have to go through a persecution period. It is why John has, uh, when, when, the, when the seals are opened in, in, in Revelation uh, when, uh, uh, chapter 6 and leading up to the seals, it is why when John sees the Lord in Revelation chapter 5, he begins to weep, right? Because he sees the book that has seven seals in the hand of the Father on the throne. And then he begins to cry. And then one of the elders, you guys can read it in Revelation 5, one of the elders comes up and tells him, do not weep, for the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed, the root and the offspring of Jesse, to open the book and to loose the seven seals there, there are. And then the next thing he sees is what? A lamb, as it had been slain, but is now living yes. forever, having seven eyes and seven horns. It's a Passover reference. And, and so he's, it's the lamb who begins to loose the seals. So in the loosing of the seals, there is an hour prophesied in which the church will have to go through something. But not everybody's going to have to go through it because Paul told us, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. So it is almost like the Spirit of God interjected when Jesus is revealing this trial, this hour that he was about to go through. And I'm submitting to you subsequently because John's writing it so deep that he's referencing that future in time church that will have to go through it for an hour as well. But then this strange event takes place in the midst of that kind of talk. He says, there's a voice from heaven. And look what Jesus said. He says in verse 30, he said, this voice didn't come because of me, but for you. Because of you, oh. right. Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. I don't know how you fit to the brother. Listen, listen. But then after the voice comes, what happens? Now is the judgment of this world. Oh, my mm. gosh. I can't. Yeah. I don't even know how I can contain myself. This right. is insane. This is awesome. Because it is before the wrath is poured out, right? Although this did happen, right? The judgment of this world and the prince of this world is going to be cast out. That's what's going to happen at the end of time, too. The voice is going to come. Not for Jesus' sake, but for us. And it's going to yes. lift us up. And when we're gone, 
Then comes the judgment of the world. Then comes the wrath of God on Satan. Oh, I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about, yes. man. Yes. But this, this is revealed in what Jesus did as he rode into Jerusalem on that Passover, headed to the Passover supper, the last supper, which we'll talk about tomorrow. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, yes. I will draw all men to me. Let's lift him up in this season, brother. Let's be ready. As he's being lifted up, we're going to be lifted up in the air to meet him too. He's going to draw us to himself. And it won't be too many days from now. And all that we see taking place, this pandemic, this global shutdown during this Passover season, remember what we talked about today. God is speaking. Question is, are you listening? And can you see? Would you close this out, brother? Amen. Amen. Powerful. Go ahead, Pastor. Oh, this is a a powerful word, the word of the Lord. I'm I'm speechless. I'm trying to grasp everything that is so clear to me, because this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Yes. <laughs> Will this last day church go through a tribulation period, which you know that's not something that is preached, especially here in America. But the fact is, is that's exactly where we're heading. The church is being purified. The church that, that Jesus is coming for is a church without spot or blemish that has come through these trials. So, um, you know, let us, let, us heed, let us heed to what the word of the Lord uh, is saying today. Uh, one of the things that you were speaking about, Brother Marty, that many times it is so true the way the enemy works. And, and I and I've heard uh, I know Pastor Fernando has quoted this sometimes. Uh, if he cannot push you outside of your purpose, your destiny, he'll try try to push you in before time. Does that make sense? And that's yes. what we see the enemy was trying to do with Jesus because not once but several times in the gospel the Bible says that he perceived what they were doing that they were trying to make him king before time. And the fact is, yes, he's king, but he will come as a king. But he needed to go through that Gethsemane. He needed to go through that Passover, through that cross, through that crucifixion. And let me tell you something. There is a beauty in this. I know fear will try to come, uh, will try to come to, but there is a beauty in all of this when we have fellowship in His sufferings. And if we do, we will experience a uh, God in such a powerful way in this hour. I pray that you have been blessed today. I pray that you have been touched today. And please join us in this journey as we continue tomorrow, as we head into uh, the final days of Jesus Christ, Passover, uh, as we're heading there. Continue to join us through these stories, and you will find what the Lord is saying. May God bless you and keep looking up.